points of my sermon this morning. You, I guarantee if you, were fr- if you were an adult when that song was playing, or especially if you were in love when that was playing, you're going to remember the four points of the sermon this morning. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. We got it? All right, we can go home. Actually, let me explain. Uh, all right, so there are two types of people in this room this morning. There are definitely 100% two types of people in this room this morning. And you're going to fall into either camp. There are messy people, and there are organized people. And you are one of the other. It got real tense in here. Listen, I want to give you a little bit of relationship tension going into, into Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about messy people. We're going to talk about organized people. And it's going to give you some tension, because I know you talk about the sermons all week long, right? You just spend the entire week processing through what God was speaking to you. But you, this week, you're going to spend the entire week processing through with your significant other what it means, it, whether you're the messy one or the organized one or what, whatever you think about that. I guarantee you there's going to be some tension. But you're in one of two camps. You are either organized or messy. Now, here's the thing. You might both be messy or you might be both organized. And that might be a whole other sermon. But this morning, I want to share with you a list from Reader's Digest of the six hidden strengths of being a messy person. I can already tell that the room is divided because some people are like, yes, I heard that, yes. Somebody in here is like, finally, the validation I've been waiting for for years. Reader's Digest, Pastor Josh, combined together to give me validation for being a messy person. Hey, listen, I'm just going to tell you what Reader's Digest said. Here are the six hidden, hidden, they need to be revealed, strengths of being a messy person. Let's see what side we, di- we divide on or what side we fall on. Messy people, number one, messy people are creative geniuses. Do you hear the voices? You hear the, you hear, they're like, yeah. Wait my whole life to hear that. Messy people are creative geniuses. See, messy people don't see a mess. They see possibilities. In fact, the environment clashing, this thing not mixing with this thing, and this thing being out of place, and this thing being available over here, looks like a new way to see the world. Listen, if you're organized, don't be laughing at those people. (laughs) We're here to encourage them this morning. No one's ever told them they were special. (laughs) Number two, messy people have their own organizational system. I'm telling you, you're on one side or the other if you're in this room this morning. See, messy people have their own organizational system, which means this. Their, Their mess is their way to have easy access to what they know they have and where it is. Because they know exactly where it is. A organized person can walk into a messy environment and spend three days looking for a sheet of paper. A messy person can walk into their own messy environment and they can go to the exact stack and they can like stick you know, like one finger in and go like this and then find the piece of paper exactly where they put it because that's their organizational system. It looks messy to everybody else, but to them, it's their organizational system. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Messy people, number three, messy people don't sweat the small stuff. 
How many of you grew up in a house that was crumb crazy? You know what I'm saying? I'll freely admit it. I am crumb crazy. What do I mean by that? It means I cannot handle when there are crumbs around. We have a, a wonderful staff that provides us with some great snacks for people that are here all day from like 7.30 to 1.30. Um, and, you know, there's some good stuff to kind of keep us going. I was asking the worship team earlier, uh, I said, hey, how does food in between services affect your playing and singing? And they're like, hey, it's great. We're just, we're really happy to be fed. One of them said, sometimes on Thursday nights, because we have a meal together, sometimes like the, you, you get a meal and like you're singing and you just got to like, you know, look like you're getting with Jesus, but you're actually burping because like, you know what I'm saying? But anyways, why am I telling you all that? I'm telling you all that to say there, there is a lot of really good snacks, but there's this one snack that I can't handle. And it happened to be the snack that my wife gave to my, one of my children today. It's the crunchy granola bar. If you are a crumb-crazy person, those are like Satan pellets. <laughs> Satan seeds that, 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 the, that the enemy just scatters. Because, right, you understand, for an organized person, mess and chaos is evil, right? I'm just saying. Now you know which side I fall on. But, but you go, if you grew up in a house where your mom was crumb-crazy, it probably wasn't always a good time. But if you grew up in a house where your mom was messy and didn't care about crumbs and didn't sweat the small stuff, you probably had a whole lot more fun. If you grew up in a house that didn't have a mom that was crumb-crazy, like she was, she was cool, she didn't sweat the small stuff, do you remember going to somebody's house where the mom was crumb-crazy for the first time? It was like a whole new world. Like you drop something and all of a sudden like alarms started going off and you're like, what world am I living in? It is a strength for messy people to not sweat the small stuff. Number four, messy people are spontaneous and flexible. They roll with the punches, right? Messy people tend to be those people that thrive in the midst of chaos, in fact, there are, there are literally organizations, there are businesses that hire people that are messy thinkers. They're, they hire people that know how to exist in the midst of chaos. Because everybody knows there are times of chaos in our lives, right? Have you had times of chaos in your family? Times of chaos in your family are the times to lean into the person that's disorganized. Because they know how to think through disorganization. If you're in a time of chaos, you're a time when, when things are not actually going the way you need. You don't need an organized person to think about the next step. Because you, how many of you know, as an organized person, sometimes you can't think of the next step. You're like, I have no idea what's going on here. My whole routine was thrown off, and so I'm not good outside of routine. And so that's when you lean into the strength of a messy person, because they can think in messy situations, and they can actually think clearly. Messy people are spontaneous and flexible. This is another one. Messy people also have better ideas than the rest of us. Some of the organization people are like, I don't believe it. They did a study. <laughs> if you organize, you can, you can believe in a study. They did a study where they put people in two different environments, a bunch of people, two different environments, and what they did is they put them in an organized environment and they put them in a messy, chaotic environment. And what they did is they gave them ping pong balls. And they said, in this environment, I want you to think of new ways to use these ping pong balls. And people in the messy environment thought of much more ways to use ping pong balls. And I think that's a stupid study. <laughs> because what are ping pong balls used for? Ping pong. 
And so when you use them for ping pong, and when you're done with ping pong, you don't think of new ways to use them. You pick them up, you put them back in their package, and you put them on the shelf, right? I'm telling you, you are in one of two camps in this room. Some of you are like, yeah, put them away. And the other ones are like, no, think of something fun to do with the ping pong balls. And the last one is this. Hidden strength of being a messy person. Being messy is actually an art. This one I absolutely don't believe. Reader's Digest said, I don't want to tell you why they said, but I'm going to tell you. They said that when you are a messy person and you walk into a room and you just scatter your shoes in a hundred different ways, every different pair here and there, that's actually a form of art. And I don't believe that for one second because I believe it's a form of torture or trap. You're trying to kill the rest of us who are organized so you can live in your mess. And you just claim that it's art. How many of you got something to talk about for the rest of the day? You are either a messy person or an organized person. Why in the world am I sharing all of this? Because it's not really that there's messy people and organized people. The truth is this. There are messy people and there are not messy people who love them and are always cleaning up after them. That was a joke. Some of you are like, that's not funny because that's all I ever do. Listen, have you noticed that I didn't say messy and clean people? The reason why I'm saying that is because messy people are not dirty. <laughs> I'm telling you, you fall into one camp or the other. This is a divisive issue in relationships. But here's what I am saying. I shared all that to say this. Just as uh, being messy and being organized and being in relationship with one another is difficult, it's hard for a messy person to be in love with an organized person. And it's difficult for an organized person to be in love with a messy person. And if we can just recognize that tension, that will help us immensely to love messy and organized people, depending on which camp we fall into. Let me describe it this way. How many of you have been in a relationship with somebody who is the opposite of you? Let's say you're the organized person and they're the messy person, and you walk into an environment, maybe you come home from work, and your house is a mess. Isn't it a little more difficult for you to feel love in that environment? Come on, organized. How many organized people? Isn't it difficult for us as organized people to feel love in that environment? Right, but let me say this. The absolute opposite is true for a messy person. If you are a messy person and you are in love with an organized person, have you ever walked into a room that an organized person cleaned on you? It's horrible. It, it is hard to love in an environment that doesn't feel good to you. What I'm saying is this. Love is messy. Because we're different kinds of people and we, we have different approaches to life. We even have different approaches to love. Love is messy and it can be confusing as well. We live in a culture that defines love according to its own values. We define a culture that says, I'm just going to choose to love the way I want to love and you have to either accept my love or not accept my love. And so... Love for us can be all different kinds of things. In the same breath we say, I love pizza, we also say, I love my wife. And they can't be the two same kinds of love. If you love pizza like you love your wife, please schedule an appointment with me. We need to talk about that. If you love your husband like you love jewelry, please schedule an appointment with Lori. She would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> so set you straight real quick. Don't worry about that. But let me say this, because we define love in so many different ways in our culture, I think sometimes even loving God can be confusing. 
What do we mean when we say, I love God, or God calls us to love Him? I want to look at a scripture real quick. We're going to start here. We'll come back at the very end, and we'll kind of hop over to, not kind of hop over, we will hop over to 1 John to look at love in a minute. But start with me in Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is reviewing the covenant with the people of Israel. And he, he's just gotten done with saying, hey, listen, I'm setting before you life and death. Choose life. And here's what he has to say. He says, you can make this choice by what? Loving the Lord your God and obeying Him and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many of you know if you read a scripture that says this is the key to your life, you should pay attention? Like oftentimes we read things and, and we're like, okay, I get the scripture and you're just kind of reading along. But if, if you read this is the key to your life and God's saying it through someone, you should probably stop and study that for a minute. Moses says to the people via God, he says, listen, I want to give you a long life in the land that I swore to your ancestors. And so here's what you need to do. You need to choose to love me. Loving God is, and obeying God and keeping his commandments is a key to our life. But oftentimes, as religious people, we get this mixed up. We start to say, okay, God, I want the things that you said I can have. I want to live long in the land you've promised me. I want to enter into your promises. And so we read a scripture like this, and we start to think, okay, if I'll just love God enough, I'll get what he's promised me. I'll have what he says I can have. The Bible says it's a key to my life, but I want to describe it another way. If you turn with me in your Bibles to John 14, 15 in the New Testament, there's another, idea, there's another way to describe this. Because we start to think, okay, it's a key to my life. I've got to love God. How do I do that? And then we read a scripture like this where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you can keep that scripture on the screen for a minute, I want to talk about it. And we read a scripture like this in light of what we read in Deuteronomy. We said, okay, good. God, I understand. I know. I've got to love you. It's a key to my life. I want to do this well, so if I love you, what will I do? I will obey your commands. Out of my obeying commands and wanting to do what I'm called to do, I'm going to love you by showing you through command obeying. That is an approach to God. If you're familiar with our Freedom Small Groups, you've heard Pastor Chris Hodges teach on this, and I think it's so important for us to understand because there's two ways to approach this loving God. There's two ways to approach this idea of loving God and keeping His commandments. And the, other, the one approach we already talked about, keep my commandments, show that you love me. The other approach is this, if you love me, if you have a love for me, then by definition, out of the overflow of that love, you will keep my commands. See, there's a difference. One is keeping commands to show that we love Him. The other one is the overflow of the love causing us to automatically keep the commands. And the question is this, which side of the, he, Pastor Chris asks this, which side of the comma do you live on? Do we live on the keeping command side or do we live on the, on the loving God side? They're intertwined, 
You can't separate them, but the approach that we take to loving God is really important. And here's the thing. Maybe we're having a hard time with this. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe we switch back and forth in our approaches to God because we're taking a human view of what it means to love God. This morning I want to talk about real love. The title of the sermon is This is Real Love. The four points are the four lines from the chorus from I want to know what love is. The first is this, I want to know what love is. God tells us what love is. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. Let's just read them through. It says this, This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we freely confess that we need a shift in our understanding of love. So we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're already here showing us what love is. We thank you for your word that cuts right down into the very core of the issue. So we pray this morning as we talk about this, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Not just that we would understand love, but that we would experience you and your love in a fresh way, in a way that transforms us and changes us and causes us to reflect your glory in the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to know what love is. Is is the song going through your head? Scripture says this is real love. The word, or that that phrase translated this is real love, literally means in this is the very essence of love. If you want to know what's real and what's true, and you want to find the very depth of the elements of real love, You will find it here. But what does it mean if it says this is real love? It means this. There is real love, and then there's things masquerading as love. There is the real love of God that is actual and true and powerful and changes and transforms us. And there are other things that people call love that are not his. Now see, it's real easy for us to say, yeah, there is. But here's the truth. Many of us walk around with definitions and experiences of what we think love is and what we have told other people what love is and what we have acted like love is like, and it's not actual, real love. There are times when we've told ourselves, I'm actually loving someone, and we're not demonstrating real love. It is a type of love, it's a form of love, but it's a love based on our own definition. And according to God, it is not real love fully. 
And so if there's real love and there's things masquerading at love, we need to know what love is. And so the Bible is very clear. Scripture is very clear. This is real love. Not that we loved God. See, oftentimes we start with the definition of love by our own experience. Those experiences I just talked about that we've been given, that we've operated in, that have been our truth, that have been our reality, that maybe other people have told us our love, those are not real love. And so we cannot start with ourselves when we talk about love. We think we know what love is, but we don't. There's a common saying in our society today that love is love. And so we just say that no matter what you think love is, it is love. And you get to define it the way you define it. And if you define it that way, then everybody else gets to come along with your definition of love. What I'm saying is this. None of us get to have that high ground. That high ground belongs solely to Jesus Christ and to God His Father and to the Holy Spirit. And He is willing not only to stand on that high ground, but He is willing to show us and to demonstrate that love to us because we have a broken concept of love. Specifically, this broken concept of love in reference to God is the misguided principle that so many world religions have when they claim love as their central tenet. What do I mean by this? There are multiple religions, including Christianity, that claim love as a central tenet. But when you have a central tenet in a religion that's not focused on the one true God, you cannot know true love. And so there's ideas, and they're partially true, and there's some elements of it, and we like to think that, that those people are loving too. We like to think as believers that we understand and we know and we operate in true love. But the truth is this, there are often times that when we start to define love based on our own image, we start to define God based on our image. And that's a broken system. It will break down every time. Every time you and I form God in our own image, we become more broken. We walk away from the love of God. We have to start with understanding it is not how we define love that is reality. It's how God defines love. So it's not that we love God, but it's that God loved us. Scripture says, not that we love God, but that He, God is the one who defines your love. And I want to make a statement that I think is somewhat controversial in this culture that we live in, but I think that it's absolutely true. And as believers, we have got to get this deep in our souls so that we will be motivated by the love of God to see that love shared with other people. And it's this. It says, we cannot know real and true love apart from the God of the universe. You and I cannot know, love, experience, or share actual, real love apart from knowing and experiencing and sharing the real God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Trinity, the creator of the universe, the one who is in, uh, in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Apart from that understanding, you and I cannot know real love. It's a controversial statement because everybody wants to put their definition on love. The Greek word for love here, and many of us have heard sermons on this before, but I think it's so important to go over it again because oftentimes as believers, we find ourselves outside of this love. The word for love used here is agape love. That's the Greek word. What do you mean the Greek word for love? It means there are several words in the Greek that are used for love. We're not going to talk about all of them here. You've probably heard sermons on it before. I know I've preached sermons about it, but I want to talk about the love that's here. And the love that's listed here 
is agape love. And it's a love that we're going to define in just a minute. But here's what I want to know. I want you to know. It's almost wholly unique in Greek to Scripture. There are a few references around it in Greek secular language, but until you get to this understanding of God pouring out His love that we have in the New Testament, you don't read about agape love. What does that mean? It means this love is a unique expression of God to the earth. And so what is agape love? How, does it, how is it defined? It's literally defined in the Scripture. I want to talk about it for just a few minutes. The first is this. Agape love, real love, true love is love that starts with God. In other words, God is the one who defines it. God is the one who lives in it. In fact, Scripture says God is love. Not love is God. That's a whole other concept. Oftentimes we make love God. But the truth is this, God is love. And this love, true love, real love, starts with God. It's who he is, it's his essence, it's how he operates, it's how he works, it's how he interacts with us. It is his nature, agape love, real love, starts with God. Agape love is other-focused. We live in a culture where we want to define love because we want to tell people how to love us. How many of you are familiar with the love, five love languages? Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. I'll explain it really quick. He basically says that each one of us have a love tank. And we give and receive love. That our, our love tanks are filled and we fill other people's love tanks by demonstrating love in one of five ways. It's either through acts of service, doing nice things for other people, it's quality time, spending like actual time, like not just sitting in front of a television vegging out, but like being present with each other. It's by physical touch, and that doesn't just mean sexually. It means that, you know, like just like a, a back rub or a handshake or a, an arm on the shoulder matters to us. It's by uh, giving gifts, and it's by words of affirmation, building each other up with our words. I, I actually think there are six love languages. The sixth one is food. But, but, but why, do I, why do I say all this? I say all this is because it's other-focused. So often in our culture, we want to tell people, and I think that the love languages are, is a great concept. It's a great book. I teach people who are married how to do it. How many of you know if your love tank is full, if you feel loved, you can conquer the day? Right? Gentlemen, if, you, if your love language is uh, acts, sorry, if your love language is words of affirmation, and physical touch, which is surprising how many men that is actually the case. I'm not saying every man, and I'm not saying if it's not yours, you're not a real man. But what I'm saying is this, a majority of men, their love languages in, one, in order one and two, or, or, or flipped, are usually words of affirmation and physical touch. How many men, you would agree, top two are those? All right. What, what that means is, men who are, who are wired that way, if you're walking out the door in the morning, and your wife just kind of grabs your hand and puts her arms around you and says, you are so handsome... You look like a power broker. Today, you are gonna, you're going to kill it at work. Don't you walk out of that house just a little bit different? Don't you approach your first meeting with a little bit more of a swagger? Don't you make that first sales call going, this sale is happening. Like, you don't even wait. You get in your car and you make the sales call on the way to work. Because you're like, it's going down today. Because your love tank is full. You can conquer the world. Or let's say, let's say you're a wife, and I'm not saying this is the, the, the same mix for everybody, but you're a wife, and, and, and your love language is acts of service. 
and your husband wakes up early, and he doesn't just use the bathroom, he uses the bathroom and then cleans the bathroom. And then he makes your lunch, right? And, and also makes you breakfast. And, iron, and irons your shirt. Now, and on your way out, he just he slips a little note in your pocket so that you find it. And it just says, listen, I love you. To, like, it wasn't the words on the paper. It's that he took the time to think about writing it before you were even in his presence. You know what I'm saying? You walk into whatever you're going to do for that day, and you're like, it's going down. This PTA, PTO meeting, PTA, this PTA meeting, I'm going to crush it. Like these teachers that are giving us all kinds of problems, they're going down today. Because this, this wife is love tank full, and I'm telling everybody what's going down. Do you know what I'm saying? When our love tanks are full, we feel great. But here's the thing. We walk around thinking that everybody else ought to fill our love tanks. And I'm saying that breaks down with agape love because agape love is not self-centered. It's other-focused. Where we don't worry about getting our love tanks filled, we worry about lo- filling other people's love tanks. Let me find a way to love you and express the love of God in a powerful way in your life that changes you. That's what God does. His love is other-focused. God could have stayed in heaven letting us worship Him and He would have been, and, and all our love focused on Him and He would have been totally justified in doing it. But His love motivated Him because He was willing to do something for you and for me. It's other-focused. But it's also demonstrative. Real love demonstrates itself. Gentlemen, can I give you a hint? Valentine's Day is coming. What? It's Friday, in case you're wondering. On Friday, if you wake up in the morning full of love for your wife, and you roll over, and you stare at your wife full of this bursting, overflowing love. And that's all you do. Your Valentine's Day will be an epic fail. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter how much other focus it is or how full of love you are until you're willing to demonstrate it to the object of your love. It's not just other focus, but it's demonstrative. In other words, gentlemen, you should start... By the way, if you also plan to demonstrate your love... on Thursday at midnight, you will also have an epic fail in terms of Valentine's Day. I'm not saying you have to go out and buy like a brand new diamond ring, although that might be where some of you are. I'm saying like think about it. You got five days to think about it between now and then. Like write some some notes. Write, you know, make an outline for the card you're going to write. So she doesn't just open it up and says, I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. You could get away with, will you be my Valentine, yes or no, for like the first three years of your marriage, Right? Now, now it takes, you can add that into your notes, but you've got to have a little bit more than that. Do you see what I'm saying? Real love is willing to demonstrate itself. And that's what agape love is. It's demonstrative. Agape love is also willing to go out of its way for others. Scripture says that he sent his son He was willing to leave the glory of heaven. To come to a broken place. A messy place. 
an unorganized place. Think about it. The God of the universe that created everything in perfect order. And it wasn't in order. Was willing to come into that unorganized place, that messy place. To submit himself. Just think to this. To submit himself to having his diaper changed. I mean, that's like one thing. So that. So that he could be inconvenienced. So that you and I could experience who he really is. So we could experience this love. Agape love is willing to go out of its way for others. Agape love is willing to personally invest. If we were going to take an offering this week, and we needed to raise $20,000, and we did it one of two ways, I could guarantee you we could raise it this morning. If we did it the first way. If I put you next to somebody who you're not related to, in other words, you don't share a pocketbook or a checkbook, and I said, you have access to everything they've got. Write a check, pull out the money. We could raise $20,000 this morning. Right? It's real easy to invest other people's money. Try and decide if I should go there. This is what our government's willing to do all the time. You need something? I'll help you. They're not helping us. They're asking us to help. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's much easier to invest other people's resources into an issue. It's a whole other thing to invest our own. $20,000 of other people's money is different than $20,000 of our money. And so God is saying, listen, my love is willing to invest of my own self. I sent my own son into the situation. This is the very best of my resources. Agape love is willing to pay the price. See, it's one thing to invest, but it's another thing to pay the price. What do I mean by that? When it comes to sin, God does not deal lightly with sin. Some of us think this is real love. Real love is just, okay, you you sinned, no big deal. And we even say that when we apologize to somebody, they say, no problem, or it's okay. How many of you do that? When somebody says, I'm sorry, you say, it's okay. Listen, that is not the way to deal with sin. That takes lightly what was done to you. It says what was done to you is okay. You're actually dismissing what the other person is saying in apologizing for what they did. God never did that. God never does that with sin. God does not deal lightly with sin. In fact, he's willing to deal heavily with it by paying the ultimate price himself. Not to cover sin, but to completely take it away. That's why it's important to sing songs to remind us of how innocent we really are. How much he paid. How much he personally invested. Not to just say, oh yeah, you're innocent, sloppy grace, no big deal. But he said, no, I'm willing to invest what it takes. I'm willing to pay the price of what it takes. I'm willing to deal heavily with sin because it's destroying you and our relationship. And I will pay what is necessary for you to be free. I'm going to deal with sin and pay the price. Because the last thing is this. Agape love is willing to deal with the heart of the issue. 
Real love does not perpetuate that which kills the other. This is the beauty of the love of our God. He said, I'm not just going to deal with sin so you don't have to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it because I know that if I don't deal with it, it's going to destroy you. He didn't just come to save us so that we someday could graduate to heaven so that we could play harps on clouds and float around like angels. By the way, we don't become angels. So stop putting it on Facebook. God didn't come to deal lightly with this. He came to set us free from that which is killing us. Spiritually for eternity, but also for now. God points out our sin because He loves us. And He doesn't point it out to say, sorry suckers, I guess you're broken. The problem is a lot of us Christians and believers think that that's what God's doing. So when he points out sin, we're like, oh yeah, great, there we go again. I guess I must have screwed up. No, when he points out sin, it's to say, here it is and it's killing you and it's destroying you. But I'm pointing it out because I want you to understand how free you are from it in me. I have paid the sacrifice. I have let it deal harshly with me so it doesn't have to kill you and destroy you anymore. And in fact, it's not just for eternity, but it's for now. I have dealt with your sin so that you and I can live in freedom. That's what real love is. I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. See, we talk about this agape love, and there's a sense that it's other, that it's apart from us, and it's true. God is other and is apart from us, but here's what I'm saying. If we truly experience His love, it transcends our brokenness. See, oftentimes we live on one side of the gospel. God has done it all, but we haven't come to the other side where God has done it all so that we can live in Him. And here's what he says. I want you to show others. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. He says, dear friends, the the, the translation here is literally beloved or loved ones. Oftentimes we throw that word around. These are my loved ones. Listen, he's saying by calling us beloved or dear, dearly beloved or dear friends, he's calling us the ones that his love is poured out on. He's other, in other words, he's saying you are the recipients of my love. You are the ones who have experienced my love in reality, in actuality, and based on the depth and the breadth and the type and the nature of the love that you have experienced. You ought to do this. Love each other with the same love. In God's mind, it makes absolutely no sense for those who have experienced His love not to pour out that love to other people. It, it just, it, he, he says, you've experienced it, so guess what? Because you've experienced it and it's radical and it's different and it's changed you, you can share it with other people. We ought to love one another this way. But here's the truth. Sometimes we find ourselves outside of this love. We can't share it because we're not experiencing it. Or we have forgotten what God has done for us. Or we've rejected it. God, I'm not worthy of that love. I messed up so many times, you can't do this. And so we we find ourselves not only not sharing the love, but we're not even experiencing it ourselves. What I'm talking about in this 
sharing of the love of God, of experiencing and sharing the actual, true love of God is this. This is a profound movement towards what we've been talking about for the last five weeks of the priesthood of all believers. This last series that we did was called Kingdom of Priests where we talked about how powerful it is for each one of us as believers to understand our calling in the earth as priests. But listen, we're not going to see any movement in that area unless we experience and operate in the love, the real love of God. Because otherwise it's just function. It's just a form without any of the fire behind it. God's called us to live in the fire of His love so that we can function, so that the form of our worship and the form of our sharing and the demonstration of the kingdom isn't just a bunch of people going around knocking on doors because we have to. It's the people of God filled with the love of God that sets our heart on fire to make sure that we share that love with other people who've never experienced it. It's the difference between loving Him and out of that love we obey His commands or just obeying His commands to prove that we love Him. I think God wants to give us the ability to be unconfused about His love. He is building relationships among us that will literally change the world. He's taking a divided people, even a profoundly divided nation, and He's completely flipping the script. We as a nation are more divided than we've ever been, ever. There have been other times we've been divided, but it is so polarized right now. And here's the really sad part. The sad part is the kingdom of God has been divided. We have allowed someone else's kingdom to divide God's kingdom. And a kingdom divided will not stand. You and I do not have a political kingdom agenda. We have a kingdom agenda. I'm going to go there again, so stop posting it on Facebook. The question is not which political party do we align with, but who's our king. Not what's the agenda or the platform of a political party. And I'm not saying that we should not be involved in politics. You you need to hear the whole of my idea on this. Let me just say this. We ought to be the most involved people in the political, democratic, and government process on the earth because we are believers. But we don't operate based on other people's commands or agendas. We operate on the commands and the agenda of our king. And what's the command and the agenda of our king? It's to experience and to share the love of God, the real love of God. And so it's time as a people to love one another this way. This revolution, this move of God, this revival will only happen if we come out of the way that we love each other now and shift into a whole new way of loving one another. By living and loving in a love that's sustained by God. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. What, what, what's Scripture saying? When we love God the way God loves us, it makes the impossible possible. Think about it for a minute. Have we experienced the full expression of God's love among us? 
I mean, this is great. This is glorious. What we do in terms of, of uh, 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 as a community, as a church, as a body, is wonderful and it's glorious. But I'm telling you, there is so much more for us. We have not experienced even close the fullness of God's love made manifest among us. We have, we have not experienced the full expression of God's love in our marriage relationships, in our homes, with our children, with each other, in our community. We barely have community. We are, we're, we're striving for it. We're going after it. We believe in it. But we have just scratched the surface of what it means to love each other and see the full expression of God's love among us. What does that mean? That means there's more for us. And we shouldn't take that as a condemning thing where God's saying, listen, you don't love each other enough, so get it right. We should take it as an invitation to enter into his love so that we can share his love so that his love would have full expression in us. Close your eyes for a minute. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what it would look like for the full expression of his love in your marriage. Think about how your home would feel. Think about the full expression of his love with your children. Like especially when they're annoying or disobedient or putting crumbs everywhere. Or throwing their shoes in front of you so that you trip over them. Or whatever your kids do that make you explode. Imagine if the full love of God was brought to expression in that moment. They're not doing it, but you're living in it. What would that look like? What peace would enter our homes? What would the full expression of God's love in this place look like? It would look like a place that people couldn't wait to get into where people are knocking on the door, where we have to add seats and we have to talk about expanding campuses and expanding. Uh, services because we can't contain how many people who are desperate to feel the actual, real, live, full expression of God's love. What would it look like? This is God's prophetic preference for your life and for my life. What does it look like for God to have a full expression of His love to the world? It means He sent His Son. And by extension, because we are filled with the Spirit, He sent us. You and I are the ones who carry this out. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back to do all of this. He will do a bunch of it. But in the meantime, he's called us to live in love so that there would be a full expression now. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. He wants us to show. Third, I want, you, I want to feel what love is. If the worship team can come, we're going to cover the last two in just a minute or two. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Other versions say, so that you know. What is this knowing? This knowing is not a knowing of the head. It's a knowing of the heart. It's perceiving. It's actually, literally feeling. Why don't you think for a minute about the first time you felt in your gut that the person you're married to was the one you were going to marry. That is a powerful feeling that often gets us to do some pretty stupid stuff. But I would venture to say you were probably not married to your spouse because it was just a logical decision. 
although it might have been. But there was something deep inside of you where you knew, you knew that you knew that this was the one. Maybe you were watching a romantic sunset together and you're like, I could live like this for the rest of my life. Maybe it was the first time that you held hands and it felt like there was electricity going between the two of you. Maybe it was sitting over a pile of chicken wings at Duff's and it wasn't so much that you inhaled the garlic and vinegar and chili but you were, just, you were just breathing in the pheromones. And you're like, I can feel, I know. Listen, that's not just reserved for romantic love. God said He sent His Son and His Spirit, specifically here His Spirit, so that we could know, that we could feel, that we could have confirmation that we belong to God. Proof that He lives in us and that we live in Him. That we live in His love and that His love lives in us. He wants us to actually feel it. He hasn't called us to walk around with a bunch of head knowledge like spiritual robots just doing what we think we ought to do so that God will somehow be pleased with us. He's called us to actually experience and feel the love of God. What does that mean? It means if you have not felt it in a while, God wants you to feel it today. That if you have never felt and experienced the love of God in that way, He is here today to cause you to know by His Spirit that His love lives within you. And here's the thing, if you have experienced it, and maybe you're experiencing it right now, you've never been more in love with Jesus. You've never been more convinced that the love of God is real. You've never functioned more in agape love than you're functioning right now. Guess what? Then there's more for you today. Because His Spirit never stops leading us into truth. And the truth is not just truth here. It's truth here. The greatest truth that we can live in is in the love of God. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Here's how we're going to end today. I know you can show me. Turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Remember, Moses is reviewing the covenant. He says, this is the key to your life. Love God. But he says, in the beginning of that chapter, he says, you're going to mess it up. He said, you're going you're to get into this land. You're going to get into the goodness of God. You're going to experience these things. And you're going to forget You're going to forget the love of God. You're going to forget what God has been trying to do in your hearts all along. You're going to even forget what He's done for you. And in that place, you're going to turn back to me. In that place where You've walked away. You've forgotten. You've grown lazy. You've taken for granted. God says you're going to come back to me and here's what I'm going to do for you. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6. The Lord your God will change your heart 
the Lord your God will change your heart and will change the heart of your descendants. Do you want to know the the key to a long-term sustained revival? It's when people, adults, turn to the Lord and He changes their hearts and in that He changes the hearts of your children. So that you will love Him, listen, with all your heart and your soul that you may live. Jesus came and He fulfilled the prophetic utterance of Moses over the people He's here to fulfill it in you today. Close your eyes if you would. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never experienced the love of God, you're like, I think He loves me. I mean, God loves people. He loves the world. But like you really want to experience. You want to feel and know and have the reality of His love poured out in you. You want to say yes to His love. You want to surrender your life to Him because He loved you so much. Because He was willing to come and pay the penalty for your sin. You want to say yes to that. Then this morning, God has brought you to this place for that. Here's what it will look like. In a few minutes when our service closes, you'll already see there's some people there standing at either side of the stage. They're here to pray with you. And if you want to surrender your life to Christ, if you came with somebody, turn to that person and say, would you take me down there? Just, just come with me. In fact, if you brought somebody today and you're not sure, you need to ask them. If you're not sure that they're walking with Jesus, you need to ask them. Do you want to go down and surrender your life to the Lord? Do you want to go down and start that relationship with Him? Do you want to go down and experience the love of God in your life? But let me also say this. This is not a call to this place for just those who have never known. This is a call to the altar for every believer in this place. If you are ready for the love of God to be freshly experienced in your life, and you are ready to be the one who shares the love of God like God has called you to, not out of your own strength, but out of the strength of the love that you've experienced, and you want that to increase today, then today's a day for you as well. And so I want to invite you, if that's you today, you want the love of God experienced in your life to increase, and you want to be available to let that love flow through you to others, I want you to stand right now where you're at. You're squarely putting yourself in the mission of God. You're saying, God, everything changes because of your love. And so I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. As much as I've been transformed, I want to be transformed even more. As much as I've seen your glory, I want to see it even more. As much as I've experienced your love, I want to share your love. And maybe even in this, you turn to your neighbor and say, do you want this too? Sometimes we just need some encouragement. We need someone else to say, come on, let's go together. Let's go together. Let's go together. The most loving thing you can do is bring somebody next to you into the love of God. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Kent is going to come, and he's going to close our service. And when he's done closing the service, the worship team's going to play for a little bit. And if that's you this morning, either you want to surrender your life for the first time, or you just want more of God's love in your life then this place is yours to receive it. This front, the front of this church is available to you. There's people that will pray for you that, for that. You can just come down here and you can get on your face before God if you want to as well. But let's believe. Let's believe what the Word says. I know you can show me. I know you can show me. By faith this morning, I believe that God will show us what His love looks like. Would you just raise your hands? God, we stand before you today. 
recognizing that you have shown us what real love is and we know that you can show us further. So God, I pray that we would be a people that don't just understand love as a concept, but we would be a people that understand love and its reality because we know and experience your love. And God, I pray that because we have been loved so greatly by you in that way, that you would cause us to step out and love one another in the same way. God, let us be marked as a people, not only who experience your love, but a people who demonstrate your love on a regular basis to those around us. God, that we would not be self-centered, that we would not define love based on our own logic, that we would not just stand off and not be willing to pay the price, but we would be the people that are willing to go anywhere and do anything to demonstrate your love to a world that's so desperate. Lord, we know that you can show us, and we know that you can show your love through us. So we make ourselves available to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Kent, would you come? I have a scripture verse to read, but before, just a little bit, uh, there's an usher in the back to receive any tithes and offerings. Uh, any promptings from God that he's put on your heart, uh, whether you're here for the first time or you've here for 30 years, God prompts in ways uh, and honor that uh, as, he, as you do that. If you're here for the first time, please stop back at Guest Central. Uh, we have a gift for you. We want to get to know you, let you know us a little bit more. Uh, small groups have started up. This is the end of the first week of it. It's, there's still room. Please uh, look for one you can partner in. Uh, there is life in a small group. Uh, and it, there's power there also. So please do that. Paul wrote the, to the Ephesians, and in his letter he had a prayer for them, and I feel so strong that it fits right in. God's word never returns void. <laughs> but, but here's the scripture verse. It's in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of the glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you, your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that your love is more than a, a hug, more than a, a fuzzy feeling, more than even being um, washed. Father, you saturate, you marinate our very bodies, our hearts, changing it to be more like you. So, Lord, I pray, Father, uh, pray for all the givers that are here and all the receivers from the givers. Lord, that your kingdom will be furthered from the house across the street to the house across the world that you'd further your kingdom in that. Uh, blessings back. Father, we thank you that you work far and above anything we could imagine. We thank you that we can come together and worship you and honor you. Lord, as we head out today after we sing this song, uh, that we take that marinate and marinate others with it, <laughs> that they would see you through us. Scripture goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do 
immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to the, his power that is in work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you could stand, let's worship this last song together uh, and just press into him.